Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This is the second part of uh, the episode on We Need to Know Everything About Humans to Design Technology. If you have not heard the first part of it, I highly recommend that you go there. It was published last week. Have a look there, listen to it, and then return here and listen to the second part. So, after this cognitive revolution has happened, the agricultural revolution happened. So, there was a time between, uh, we talked about a time frame 70,000 years ago. Uh, now, we talk about a life uh, in, that was uh, about 10, 12,000 years ago. And in that time frame, 10, 12,000 years ago, the agricultural revolution happened. After the cognitive revolution, the second important revolution in the history of, of humankind. The original lifestyle of Homo sapiens, uh, of man, of us, is nomadic. Meaning walking around, collecting fruits, collecting roots, collecting food, hunting food, hunting animals. And uh, that was the lifestyle that is still the lifestyle we are originally made for. And surprisingly, that was a healthier and less strenuous lifestyle than living in a fixed place. A few hours a day were enough to collect and hunt all the calories necessary for life, for one's own life and the life of my children, and for the reproduction, for giving on my genes in, 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 in this process. The rest was probably hanging around in groups uh, very much like we see it with the gorillas and chimpanzees today. And that was the lifestyle that is the lifestyle humans, from a genetical point of view, are made for. Hunting and collecting a few hours per day and then hanging around with the buddies. And who doesn't feel reminded of hanging around with best friends in your youth? It reminds me of uh, the Mediterranean or Floridian or Californian beaches in the summer, full of people hanging around there in big groups and just doing nothing, just hanging around. Or how about a wonderfully relaxed afternoon in a cafe? So all this seems to be part of our genetical, natural lifestyle. 
And in the agricultural revolution, it was not man who domesticated wheat. Wheat domesticated man. A bit more than, than 10,000 years ago, humans realized that uh, the harvest of weeds becomes more abundant, becomes bigger, that you get more calories out of it if the fields are tended, fertilized, if weeds are removed. And so suddenly sowing, guarding the fields, harvesting would become more and more the focus of life. And the work on these fields was hard and was hurtful. Uh, people got injuries while working on that. They got back aches while working on these fields. But after a few generations, the comforts of hunting and collecting of the nomadic lifestyle were forgotten because nothing else was known at that time. And this is how wheat domesticated humans, not the other way around as many believe. In addition, there was the construction of religious buildings and structures, like temples, and churches and mosques, as we see it today. So that was, um, it seems like this uh, was, was a core for building larger groups and building um, fixed uh, living places, giving up the nomadic lifestyle. Because if you want to build these uh, early temples, um, it's very hard to do this if you have a nomadic lifestyle. It's not impossible, but pretty hard. And this was also a result of learning this new language, of uh, being able to, to have a complex communication. Stories of God could be told, and the appropriate ritual buildings could be planned and built. The cultivation of wheat and the associated cultivation of the fields produced large amount of calories. So the settlements grew and at some point it became clear that just being full, just being free from hunger is no longer enough to run the growing group size, to be the glue of, of larger groups. So rules had to be found that uh, established a certain order that regulate cooperation and um, yeah, defined spaces and defined uh, interactions between humans. In order to establish these rules and above all to enforce them, myths were very useful. Remember, with a new level of communication, a new language that had been developed uh, 70,000 years ago, were used 10,000 years ago to create myths and then to set up rules and to enforce them. A common belief, a higher authority, is very helpful for this. An early example was the Hammurabi Code, a Babylonian set of rules that governed a number of aspects of the communities of the common life. Its enforcement was made much easier because Hammurabi, the guy that invented them, Hammurabi appealed to the gods in his doing and acting. And in this context, 
the invention of writing was very helpful. Hunters and collectors, they passed on all information from one generation to the others and they had it in their minds and their brains. So that they knew which plant is poisonous, uh, which animals are hunted how, uh, what parts of the animals are tasty, um, what you should not eat. And all this information was in the brains of the humans and uh, passed on orally from generation to generation. It was enriched, it was uh, growing, um, but it was uh, not written down in any way. The early Sumerians, one of the very first complex structures having um, almost urban, uh, uh, an almost urban lifestyle, they had uh, they used writing to record business issues like quantities and numbers. So the written language, uh, the the writing they had, was the writing of bookkeepers of accountants. It was not possible to write love poems or novels with uh, the writing of the early Sumerians. Later on, the same culture introduced a cuneiform script, which was similar to the Egyptian hieroglyphs. And that is a full script. And everything that can be said, that can be spoken, can be written down with this cuneiforms or with the hieroglyphs that they have. And that brought writing to a totally new level. Okay, to summarize it so far, we talked about the cognitive revolution, the agricultural revolution, the creation of order in larger groups of coexistence by rules, and we talked about writing. And the next important level of uh, human development is money. Excuse me. We became larger and larger groups and uh, there was a specialization of certain handcrafts. So there were people being very good in hunting, people very good in fishing, there were people very good in building houses, there were people very good in uh, producing cloths and, and making clothes. So uh, fabrics were produced by certain people. So. Um, we had a differentiation in abilities. And the problem, and in, the, and in the very beginning, um, they were just exchanging goods directly. Saying, so, okay, I have, um, have a mammoth here. Could you give me free clothes for my children in return? Or I want you to build my house and I will give you my fish for the next year or something like this. So that uh, was this direct exchange. And uh, that did not work for very long and uh, the introduction of money uh, established a comparability of goods and services. And with that, it was enabling complex exchanges. 
Money is basically based on trust. A few years ago, I had a 500 euros bill and uh, I wanted to spend this in Spain. And particularly in, in Spain, um, anything bigger than a 50 euros bill is impossible to spend. And um, I, I wanted to spend this and found out nobody is accepting that bill. And I mean, money uh, is just a piece of paper with uh, some printing on it to bring it down to the point. So it has no value in itself. It has a value because we trust in it and we have faith that this is worth $1, $5 or $100. And with this uh, 500 euros bill in Spain, I could not do anything. So for me, this was just brought back to a piece of paper uh, with a printed figure 500 on it. And that's it. But with the trust that we have in money, with the faith that is connected to it, cooperation between people who did not know each other suddenly became possible. And early forms of money had a real value, for example, as gold coins. So gold was the material, that was the value representing it. And then the minting as a coin created the trust and also the localization and you know this um, if you have a 25 uh, cent coin from the us you will not be able to spend it in europe you will not get anything for this so it's localized so the the 25 cent coin works in the usa only and nowhere else so money uh, strengthened political structures it uh, empowered power structures because these coins were only valid in certain areas. The money has not only advantages, the, 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 the big disadvantage of money is that it tears away all trust, all belief in itself. People trust friends and gods less than they trust and believe in money. So, after that, let's jump uh, a big step ahead in, in history, until about 500 years ago. That uh, was a time uh, called the Enlightenment, and uh, that was extremely important for the lives we lead today, for all the technology that we have. And, um, yeah, in these 500 years, we've seen extreme changes in science and technology. Anyone who wants to understand the world today with all totally complete penetration of technology should analyze this development. Science has replaced divine beliefs, religious, religious beliefs with an understanding of natural laws. That was one point. The other point was people admitted to be not knowing to realize that there is knowledge which we do not know, that there are relationships in nature we do not know. Before that, before realizing that there is something we don't know and that we can find out with scientific procedures, 
Before that, it, uh, yeah, progress had not been foreseen. Most people believed that the golden days were behind them and not before them. And this realization that um, we can gain knowledge, this change in thinking, uh, means that the best times are not behind us, but that we can shape our future when we know more. And this was central to the world as we see it today. Until the Enlightenment, gods were infallible and religious books were the only truth. By turning away from religions, the scientific search for truth became possible. One example uh, for the communication of complexity in the early days, meaning more than 500 years uh, before our times, the only way of communication com uh, of complexity was storytelling. You could tell a story and that was communication of complexity. Today, we know mathematics. We have replicable experiments. We have statistics. We have probability theories that we use. And for the future, this trend will continue with more technology, with more mechanics, with more software, with more hidden knowledge, we will have an even stronger trend towards math experiments, statistics and probabilities that we have. One example, a little more concrete example, is if we talk about death. So, in the old days, death was given by God. It happened and there was just the way it was. About 100, 150 years ago, viruses and bacteria were discovered with scientific methods. And uh, measures against it were invented, like hygiene measurements, washing your hands and cleaning surfaces. And that changed medical treatments. That changed the, ch the, the chance we had to treat people. And all that happened on a scientific basis. And not that we have eliminated death with that, but we have a certain amount of control over it. So it is not necessarily something we have to face and just get into, but uh, we have a certain control to push it backwards for a certain amount of time. Concrete example, child mortality, even amongst the rich, a uh, thousand years, 500 years ago, was about 25%. Today, in Germany and most Western world, it is far below under 1%. So, we have these changes based on scientific progress. And with that, we created a belief in tomorrow. So we have a very basic trust in the future. Just one example. If you buy a car today, you believe that there will be roads tomorrow, that there will be gas stations tomorrow, that there will be a need to drive tomorrow. Otherwise, you would not spend 20, 50 or 100,000 dollars or euros or pounds for, for a car. 
You would not do this if you were not really sure that we have a highly technologized future. And just as a footnote, uh, capitalism is so successful uh, in, in pushing back all the other megacultures, first of all religions, because science and technology play such a central role. And just a few examples. Um, if you look into the different holy books, into the different beliefs of religions, um, there is, for example, the belief the world was created in seven days. Or the age of the earth is about 4,000 years. I don't know which, but there is a religious group that believes that. And there are other religious groups that believe that there is no evolution. So, this is the positive side of science and technology. But science and technology also created knowledge within, uh, and created empty content with this, emptiness in ourselves. And this emptiness in ourselves is filled by the use of technology. So when there may be no afterlife, no paradise, no virgins waiting for us in heaven, then we enjoy our life in the here and the now and we do this with consumption. So, in this uh, podcast, um, we had thousands of years of history in a very quick way, summarized, condensed down to, to the major points. Life is better today than ever before. We live longer, healthier and safer than ever before. And the world has never been more peaceful. This may sound surprising to you, particularly the 20th century with the two big and awful world wars um, are dominating our memories. But um, since the end of the Second World War, we are having more than 75 years of peace now in Europe, a situation that had never ever happened before in human history. And technology is playing a major role in all of this. It brings communication, it brings trade all over the world, it brings the world closer together. And in the end, I mean, if you develop technology, if you deal with technology, you just don't shoot your customers, you just don't shoot your suppliers. And so this global technology and a global trade leads to times of peace. The big question is, are we happier? And surprisingly, no, we are not. We adjust to personal happiness levels. A good example is um, lottery winners. So if you um, play in a lottery and maybe you have an income of maybe 1500 euros per month and um, so you can make a living but it's not really nice And suddenly you have 20 million euros on your bank account because you won in a lottery. You will be super happy. You will be very, very happy. 
and um, most people will lose all this money within a few years. But after a very short time, people go back to their personal happiness level. If they were basically happy people before, they will be, be happy people afterwards. If they were more negative people before, they will be pretty negative pretty soon after the lottery win. Same as for salary increases, but it's also the same for life crisis. After a while, after going through a deep valley of sadness, we return to the same happiness level as before. So... There are very few things that change happiness levels long-term. One uh, seems to be the quality of communication you have with other humans and the quality and the size of your personal communication networks. And uh, it seems like uh, short commutes make people happy, happier long-time. And it makes sense that uh, we have this adaption to personal have, uh, happiness levels after a short time. Imagine um, you get a raise in salary and um, then you will go home. You may open a bottle of champagne and uh, you, will have a, you will dance a bit in your apartment and it will be a very good evening that you have. And now imagine you do this for the rest of your life. Because you had your salary increase and you're happy and you stay happier for the rest of your life. And so every evening you open a bottle of champagne and you dance around. No one will do this. And it's the same for the other side. So if you had a crisis in life and you remain in this valley of sadness, you will not be able to, to lead a life at all. So it makes sense that we return to this personal happiness level. Is that negative? You may think it's negative. No, it is positive. Because we will keep on going to reach the next phase of happiness, the next level. So we create further innovations. We keep on improving lives and expanding lives and expanding our own influences to reach over and over again new levels on happiness. Okay, that brings us to the end of uh, this podcast episode. To summarize, at, um, so humans were only just one mammal among many until about 70,000 years ago. 70,000 years ago, the cognitive revolution happened. Uh, we had a more and complex brain. And with that, uh, we had a more and complex language and which allows us allowed us a more and complex communication the agricultural revolution 10000 uh, years ago when wheat domesticated humans that uh, was uh, the reason for building larger groups for giving up the nomadic lifestyle The larger groups living at fixed places required regulations and government structures, which then led to writing and expanded trade led to the introduction of money. 500 years ago, religions were replaced with science 
and with technological progress. Today, technology is omnipresent, it's ubiquitous, and we will face, but that's another episode, the fusion of people and technology to cyborgs. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.